0: Go ahead and have a seat, guys. We wrote that song uh, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I guess three maybe, um, and that the bridge of that song just wipes my heart out and is exactly where we are studying this, this gospel, the gospel-centered life, uh, the gospel in life. When my heart rejects, your love remains. Just think on that when my mind doubts who you are your love for me when my mind doubts my circumstances your love remains when i choose myself when i'm selfish and i have a mighty wrestling match over that all the time when i choose myself your love remains and you keep me with your steadfast love we're going to talk about the gospel for like the next 12 weeks Whatever. Actually, we're going to talk about the gospel for the, like the next life of this church, uh, but in particular, the next 12 weeks, you're going to hear gospel come out of my mouth and come out of Dave's mouth and your community group leaders' mouths. And I, I just I want to want to reassure, confirm in our minds and in our hearts what that means. The gospel. When I say. The gospel ought to shape our lives. What am I, what am I actually talking about? Because that's a, if you've heard me talk much, I, I don't like to use religious words. And when I do, I want to define them so that I know that you know that we both know what I'm talking about. When I say the gospel, And it's, it's just exactly what that bridge is talking about. When I am filled with sin, and I'm filled with sin all the time, the love of God still remains and still changes and still is effective in my life. Because here's the here's the thing. I'm messed up, you're messed up, and my messed upness makes your messed upness even worse. And you're we rub up against each other and and this world is broken and we have pain. And I'm I'm back there in the back when you guys like the last the the second song, I'm back in the back, like stretching my back because my back just really hurts. And because, and you guys probably have little pains in your life and stuff, and we're, we live in a broken world where we have physical pain, emotional pain, relational pain, and all that stuff, and that's the effect of sin that's here in this world. Whether you realize that or not, the, the death and brokenness that happens in our world is because of the the, the presence of sin, but the gospel says that in the midst of, of all of that brokenness, all of my brokenness rubbing up against yours and yours rubbing up against mine and making that worse and... The exponential nature of, of that and the brokenness of this world that it's cold one day and hot the next and windy one just the weather and just the brokenness of, of all of that God has stepped into that and redeemed it all so that at one point there will be no presence of sin there will be no presence of brokenness there will be none of that and we will experience true peaceful shalom and grace and uh and, and it will be mighty and powerful and awesome. And, and so when I say the gospel, when Dave says the gospel, when your community group say the gospel in the next 8, 10, 12 weeks, whatever it's going to last with some of our days off and whatever, that's what we're talking about. We're broken, God redeemed, we glory in that. One of the other lines in that song, let the bones of you have broken rejoice. Let them glory in their low place because they have caused me In the midst of my brokenness, to look up and see the beauty of who you are. That's the gospel, and that's where where we want to get to throughout this series. Um, When I was a kid, the only thing I wanted to do was be the shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, And when I was a kid, the shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals was Ozzie Smith. Um, And I wanted to be Ozzie. He was little, I was little, Uh, he wasn't very strong, I wasn't very strong. All those things, I really connected with him and, and he made himself a really good player. He made himself a great defensive player through practice, through practice, through practice, through repetition. And so I wanted to be the shortstop for the Cardinals. And I was on a, a baseball team as a kid that was that was pretty good. We played like sixty games a summer and, and like all the time, obnoxious amounts of of baseball. If my kids wanted to play that much, I'd be like, no way, we're not doing that. But my parents did. Uh so I went to my coach. He's a really good coach. And I said, I want to I be an infielder like Ozzy. What, what can I do? Help me learn to be a, a good player. And he said, the key to, to, to being a good infielder, a great infielder, to being a fantastic defensive player is repetition. And here's what you can do. I want you to go, uh, go to a park. Maybe go to your basement if your parents say it's okay. Clear out a spot and take a ball and a glove and just throw the ball against the wall and scoop it up. Throw the ball against the wall and scoop it up. And so I do this every day for like an hour at a time. Because, he said, two things are important. One, you need to develop soft hands. And two, you need to develop muscle memory. And soft hands is, he told me to to scoop the ball. Don't just let the ball come in your hand, but to, to scoop it, to cradle it, to make it soft so that it's not bouncing hardly off your hand. So here I am every day for at least an hour, throwing the ball against the wall and softly scooping it up because he's trying to develop in me soft hands and muscle memory. And that's what Ozzy did. That same drill, he threw a ball against the wall and scooped it up. Threw a ball against hours and hours, hundreds, thousands of times a day, so that in the midst of a game, ninth inning, two outs, ground ball comes to Ozzy, and there's, he doesn't even have to think about it. It's just muscle memory for him that put my glove down, I scoop it up, I, gentle, I cradle it in, and I throw it over. And, or when there's a runner bearing down on you in, in a play, and, and, and he's like, there's pressure, you're, you're afraid you're going to clobbered by this runner coming down on you, and you scoop it up very softly, very gently. And it was... I was able to do that, and Ozzy was able to do that to this great extent because of this repetition, this muscle memory, this always an hour every single day throwing it and scooping it up, throwing the ball, scooping it up, throwing the ball, scooping it up. I wore a little hole in like a little spot in the basement on the wall and on the floor where the ball kept bouncing because I could do it the same spot every time. Wall, floor, glove, wall, floor, glove, over and over and over and over and over again. And that concept is why you hear all the time out of, out of our mouths and will specifically for the next Gospel in Life series hear this phrase, applying the gospel to your life, applying the gospel to your life. And, and now we begin to, to see the series, the point of it is that how that works in practice. Because when life presses in, that runner bearing down on you, when it's the ninth inning, when life is really intense, we need to have the muscle memory of the gospel poured into our hearts so that our immediate response is not one of self-centeredness, it's not one of of doubt, it's not one of anger, it's not one of retaliation, it's not one of bitterness, it's one of the gospel. And we have to to continually pound that in our heads and press it down as far as we can into the very fabric and core of who we are, and that begins to, to inform our response to the brokenness of this world. Does that make sense? At the beginning, I'm talking about my brokenness rubs against your brokenness and makes you even more broken. When we have the gospel pressed into us, when your brokenness rubs up against my brokenness, gospel is my response. Love is my response. And that's the gospel in life. And we'll talk about that in in a second. But I want to, the thing that I want to press upon everybody, as we embark on this series, the banner over us is we can get lost in the minutiae of a phrase that, of, a, of a Bible story we're reading about, but ultimately what we want to say is this is how you live the gospel in your life. This is how when you interact with your neighbor, when you interact at your workplace, when, when you interact with your own sin, when you interact with, with your spouse, when you interact with, at your school, and all these things when you interact, this is how you apply the gospel in your life. And that's the, the core of what we want to get to. So I want to bring us to, to, four, or to three stories this morning. And uh, three stories, one in, in three different gospels, uh, and the gospels are, are filled with the gospel, ironically enough. Uh, so, first, turn it to John 4. This is a very familiar story. And, and I think that probably all three of these stories that I'm going to talk about this morning are probably going to be very familiar to you. Please forget about what you know about each one of these stories and let's look for the gospel. All right? Forget about what you know or what you think you know about each one of these stories and let's look for the gospel. The story in John 4 is the woman at the well. You guys have probably all heard this before. I'm going to read the first uh, from 4 to 9. And he, that's Jesus, had come had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw Water and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I want to pause there just for a second and, and, and help us to see the gospel. First, go back to verse four. This is a real simple, we think it's a stage setting verse. But there's a there's a phrase in here that I want us to connect with, and he had to pass through Samaria, had to pass. That phrase had to pass. The Greek translation there, in the what us to to understand the the full domain and the context with which this word appears and other domains. This word appears some 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 like seminary language stuff. Is this? It's not that he had to go through this area. Like, for me to walk out of this door, I have to pass through this area. That's not what this is talking about. This is a a providence of God sort of had to. Does that make sense? Like, because Christ was living in the will of God, that was what forced him to pass through this area and interact with this woman. Okay? So that's much bigger than... I got in my car and I, I had to pass by Fluorescent Road and I had to pass by Lindbergh and I had to pass through by Charbonnier to get here this morning. God has ordained this event to happen. And I, I, want, I want you to see this when we are trying to apply this gospel in life. God has ordained relationships in your life. The broken ones the ones that you love, the ones that you hate, the crazy neighbors, the the fantastic neighbors, the crazy parents, the the crazy kids, the crazy siblings. God has ordained all of that. Every single piece of it, God has had you pass by that. And if we truly understand the gospel in life and, and view life through the lens of the gospel, instead of view life through the lens of of selfishness, we see every single engagement as gospel-centered or the potential to be gospel-centered. And again, the gospel, I'm wickedly wretched, but God is is unbelievably loving, and he, he has come into my wretchedness and changed me. We'll get to more of that in a second. When we see through the gospel, we see souls and not shells. Jesus sees this soul of this woman at the well and not her shell. Verse 9, skip down there. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Uh, Culture will build walls Between you and people. There are walls that are built up between Jesus and this woman. The first one that they talk about there in verse 9 is the fact that Jesus is a Jew and this woman is from Samaria. And there is a bitter rivalry, hatred that happens between Jews and and Samaritan people. In the reign of Claudius in in Rome, uh, Josephus, an ancient historian, talks about wars that were fought between Jews and and people from Samaria. So much so that Rome had to had to engage in and break up battles, break up uprisings that were happening between the the groups and they would even crucify people to show them that this is what if you guys are going to fight we're going to crucify some of your people. So Rome was was and Rome never got involved in anything unless there was some potential for some great battle, some great war, some, some civil unrest to happen. And so Rome would get involved in the battles between Jews and Samaritan people. And so this is a, this is a really big deal that's happening here. This is a, a very large cultural wall that is put up between Jesus and this woman at the well because he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan. But Jesus... Doesn't have cultural glasses on. He has gospel glasses on. So he sees through, he sees past that wall. And, and I, I want us to understand that we live in North County. There are a lot of cultural walls around us. Black, white, Hispanic. You can drive through. I live in Ferguson. You can drive through Ferguson and there you, let, you would think you were in downtown Kirkwood on a couple of streets. And you would think you were in the ghetto on some streets. It's... There are cultural walls everywhere around us, especially here in North County. We can put on our cultural lenses and we can see those see those walls and say, you know what? There's we just we're not going to really be able to connect culturally, so let's just move on. Bless you in your way, or we can put on the gospel, like Christ is here, and tear down those walls, see through those walls, engage the soul of this person, because ultimately. This woman at the well needed the redemption that Christ could offer to her. And you know what? Can I be honest here? Um, As I'm preparing this this week, um, I really, really, really am comfortable with walls. And I hate it. And I've experienced some pretty solid, strong conviction this week. I was walking out of—Ryan uh, and Jamie got some first pitch tickets, and me and Cooper went down to opening day. And uh, I had to go back up to my, uh, my work office. is just a, like a block away. I had to go up and get some keys before they locked it, whatever. So I'm walking down the, the street right out in front of Bush Stadium, and like, it's the third inning, so everybody's already in the stadium except for a few stragglers out there. And there's these two guys— that are sitting out there, and they are maybe 50, and you can tell they've had some hardness of life. Their eyes are just yellow, and they're both sipping on bags of 40 ounces. And my response is to walk on the other side of the street. Not sure... that I was supposed to engage them, I don't know. But what I do know is I had my cultural, self-centered glasses on and not my gospel glasses on. So I confess to you, but ultimately, we're all living there, and and we want to walk, we want to press the gospel into our lives so that when the intensity of life happens to us, just like me throwing the ball against the wall, the intensity of life in that moment My muscle memory response is that's a soul that's going to spend an eternity with God or away from God. And I am no greater or better than them just because I have a, a job and a family and I'm not addicted to alcohol. I'm still wretched. And the gospel says to me, I'm redeemed just like they can be. And we have to press through. Jesus also saw through the culture wall of her race and her past. Skip down to verse 17. The woman answered to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. This woman's got a crazy past. She's had five husbands, and she's living with some guy. Jesus sees through that and still engages her. And you see the, what he has to do back before this event happens? He sends his disciples away so that he can go and engage this woman without them throwing up cultural walls. Jesus sees past the walls that have been put up of race and of her past and sees her as a soul and not a shell. Flip over to Matthew 18. We'll get to the, the next story. <clears throat> Here comes some more conviction, by the way. So if you don't like conviction, stop listening. And then probably you'll feel bad about that later. Matthew 18, verse 21. <clears throat> says, Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Jesus is telling a story to, to make a point. Verse 24. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. This guy's going to become a slave. This guy's going to become a slave. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servant saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on this fellow servant, as I had mercy on you, and in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Again, don't get lost in the minutia of this story or your, your familiarity with this story, and understand the gospel principle that Jesus is teaching here. Because we are so wretched and have such a debt that we could never hope to pay, and God has seen fit to forgive that debt, that has to inform how we forgive people. When we see the world through the gospel, we forgive like Jesus forgives. When we look at the cross and really meditate on all that it is. The, the white knuckle clinging to a wrong that someone has put against us has to loosen. Either that or you don't understand the gospel. The gospel is, is in this story. It's exactly what this is trying to say. Is this is how we see the gospel in life. I want fire to fire that next image up there. This is the the cover of the book. It's kind of grainy because it's a it's not perfect. But what I'm what I'm gonna say you can you can see here what what you've got there is a picture of like an, a New York City apartment building, and there are some brackets. Those black things are just brackets around a portion of it. And you can see outside of the brackets, everything is black and white, and inside of the brackets, there's some gold at the top, and the 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 side of the building is red, and just those colors pop. Do you see that? The black and white outside and the colors popping on the inside. This is the gospel in life. When we see life, when we look at life through the lens of the gospel, colors pop. We begin to, to see God truly for who he is, and we begin to connect with him truly for what he is, and we, get, we begin to, to see the world the way God intended for us to see the world. And I hope the, the importance of this is not lost. And I hope the, the some guy in, in New York City at, at Tim Keller's church made this design and there's beauty, there's gospel here and I, I don't want us to get past it. I want us to, to be engaged with the fact that when we see the gospel, through the the world, through the gospel, we begin to see the beauty with which God intended us to see the world. Flip over to to Luke chapter 10. And this uh, this is one that I know you're familiar with. You probably made something out of pipe cleaners in Bible school having to do with this story. Starting in verse 30, chapter 10 of the book of Luke. It says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In light of the story I just said about the baseball game, oof, I'm leveled. Verse 32. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, remember, Jews and Samaritans hate each other to the point of war, to the point of death, to the point of crucifixion. As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whenever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. He said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Again, don't get caught in the minutia and the familiarity of the story. See the gospel. See the gospel here. In our book that we're going to read, I think it's week five or six, you're going you're to read these words. <clears throat> What if the parable had gone like this? A Samaritan was beaten up and left half dead in the road, and a man came along and saw him and had compassion and ministered to him. The hearer would have said, how ridiculous. I would never do such a thing. I would, Samaritans hate us, and we hate them. They are our enemies. I would never stop and help a Samaritan. But instead, and this is not a story that happened. This is Jesus telling a parable, telling something that didn't happen to teach a story. To teach a point. Instead, Jesus puts the hearer, the Jew, the Christian in the road as the victim. And so the parable goes like this Imagine you're you were beaten up and left half dead on the road. What if your only hope was to get help from someone who not only did not owe you any help, but who actually owed you the opposite? What if your only hope was to get free grace from someone who had every reason to trample you? That's the, that's, that's the gospel. That's who we were before Christ. While we were yet sinners, gross, while our mouths were still as open graves and our tongue had the venom of asp on our lips, In the midst of that wretchedness, Christ came to save us, to give his life for us. While we were the the Jew, dead and half beaten in the road, a Samaritan who did not owe us anything. And in fact, if he did owe us something, it was to to make our our lot in life worse, to rain wrath upon us. In the midst of that moment, God grabbed us, put us onto his animal, and took us and, and sheltered us. Saved us. And do you see how that fact, that story, and knowledge of all that Christ did for us has to inform and motivate and change the fabric of who we are. And it's it's that throwing that baseball against the wall and scooping it up, developing those soft hands so that when the intensity of life happens. The gospel is our response. You know what? I was that Jew half dead in the street, but Christ saved me. This is the gospel in every single facet of our lives. is ordained by God to bring us to a place where when we respond to life, we see the beautiful colors that we were intended to see. We see past the shell of people and into the soul of who they are. We forgive like Christ forgave. We work like Christ worked. We give everything that we are to all that we do. And we engage life. This is the focus of Scripture. This is the focus of of where we will be for the next 10 weeks. Pressing the gospel is far down into the fabric of who we are so that it is our response to every single detail of all of our lives. I want to close with with one thought. D.A. Carson is a thinker, author, brilliant man, and he says this, the gospel means showing care and compassion even to those with whom one would not normally have any relationship. Let that just sit on you for a while. Let's pray. Father God, I, uh, I come before you asking for you to, to guide and lead us as we seek to understand, apply Live, meditate on your gospel, Father. God, guide us in these moments of response. Guide us in the still moments of life. Guide us in the intense moments of life to live the gospel in life. God, I pray that you would change our 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 souls, change our 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 outlook, change our worldview, God. Individually and collectively. God, we thank you for who you are. But more than anything, we thank you for the cross. God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your gospel. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.